Hello, and welcome to the No Good Poetry Podcast. Each week, or every once in a while, we talk about the good, bad, and the ugly of poetry. This is episode 106 with Joseph Bienvenue and Joseph Makos. I don't know why we said our names backwards. I like it. It's funny. Let's just go with it. Hey, everybody, we're back. It's been a little while. It's been a little while. There's been some summer stuff going on. Yeah, there's summer in general, and then other stuff happening. It's all right. But I think we're going to be back to our every other week schedule, hopefully, here uh, soon. Um, and we had uh, a nice guest by Skype yesterday, last night I talked to, and that's what you're going to hear in a second, Travis Nichols. And I think he does a little introduction for himself in the beginning. But we're cool, hoping cool. to be kind of uh, back on schedule here a little bit soon to our every other week thing. But we also wanted to do a little intro because there's some events coming up if you're in New Orleans that we wanted to let you know about. Uh, yeah, this coming Friday, uh, we have a reading here at uh, the studio, which I'm really excited about because it's about to kick off a um, year, uh, well, let's say not a year, but um, a long, well, oh, sorry, not long, uh, uh, uh. It's about to kick off a little series of readings, and this first one is going to be a special edition, and then we're going to have a few readings going for the rest of the year here at NOLA DNA Studios on O.C. Haley. They're going to be sort of late-night salon-style readings that are going to happen uh, the second Friday of each month um, for September, October, November, and December, the rest of 2019, and then we'll bring some things along uh, in uh, 2020. Um, The first one is going to be uh, reader, uh, readers are going to be E. Connor, Simmons M., Ali, Logout, Meg, Nora, Treat Baby, Riley Rubin. It's going to start, uh, doors will be at 7 p.m. here at 1612 O.C. Haley, and uh, we'll probably start the ring around 8, and it'll probably run till 10. There'll be a backyard reading, there'll be an open bar, um, uh, cash bar, sorry, but there'll be a bar open, and uh, it's going to be sort of like this beginning of this experiment of little salon-style readings here at uh, NOLA DNA Studios. Nice, and you know, come on out, come see it. Uh, it's always good. And I can read a little description here. You want yeah, just a short little description? Uh, it's called uh, Parakazadeka Triophobia. Well, it's kind of crazy, but it's a cool title. I mean, it's the idea that we have these readings on Friday the 13th. Actually, there's two readings on Friday the 13th. We have a, a Friday, weird that there's so many October or September days. and December this year uh, is Friday the 13th. An outdoor reading featuring a series of queer poets and writing writers speaking into the brackish space between summer and fall. Come listen and imbibe at the speakeasy bar in the unrelenting warmth of a September full moon. It's a full moon and it's Friday the 13th. Nice. And then... Uh, it's a benefit, sorry, it's a little benefit for Pinko Magazine, oh, okay. which is a communist and queer publication. Perfect name for... for, for Pinko, yeah, <laughs> it's spot on. <laughs> uh, and then the Monday following that, Monday the 16th, is going to be the first reading of the Lucky Bean series of this year at NOCA. Um, it's, you know, so come out and see that. It is at uh, 7.30. I'm sorry, 7 p.m., not 7.30. It's at 7 p.m. Um, the featured reader is past guest of the show and wonderful poet Gina Ferrara. So, oh, excellent. You know, that's so the two, two little events coming up. Trying to make it out to one of them. Um, we hope you enjoy the interview today. Uh, 
We got to talk about some some good stuff and you know, like what? Give us a little taste. What are well, we? What are we? I was gonna, so you know, we talked a little bit about what it's like. You know, Travis used to work for the Poetry Foundation, and they switched to to working at Greenpeace. So like, the good and bad side of that switch, as far as continuing to do poetry and how it changes reading poetry. Uh, and then we talked about Travis was fortunate enough to. Uh, interview david berman and i really liked that interview Whoa. and it was not too long before before he died so we talk about that quite a bit too is and, that and some other stuff that i don't even remember ever is that interview about. published is it available somewhere? it is and i'm going to put a link on the show show notes that was from that was in through the poetry foundation blog okay um so i will i am going to put a link to that Inc- incredible incredible i'm looking forward to hearing that myself because i wasn't on the interview but all right, so enjoy the show, and we'll see y'all. Here we go. Not next week, but the week after that. All right, so welcome back. We have... Uh, a guest with us by Skype today, poet Travis Nichols. How are you doing today, Travis? I'm doing just fine. Thanks for having me. So do you want to give like a little, just a brief little background of yourself for, for our listeners? Sure. Who I am. So my name is Travis Nichols, and I'm a poet, as Joseph has mentioned here. I have uh, two books of poems. We've got Iowa that's on Letter Machine Editions and See Me Improving, which is on Copper Canyon Press, and two novels. Uh, the first one is Off We Go Into the Wild Blue Yonder, and the second is The More You Ignore Me, and those are both on Coffee House Press. I live here. I'm sitting in my garage here in Georgia um, because my kids are inside watching or eating pizza now, but probably watching a movie shortly, and I work here, uh, from here often, uh, as the media director at Greenpeace USA. Nice, nice. How long have you been at Greenpeace? Um, seven years since twenty spring of twenty twelve, and so our uh, mutual friend Molly Dorshinsky was working there, but I didn't realize that uh, when I applied for the job. I was working at the Poetry Foundation in Chicago. Oh, I thought and... I thought you must have known that somehow, and that's how it worked out. No, <laughs> and what? Well, I did because I like I applied. And then my wife, Monica, and I were talking, and I was like, doesn't Molly work at Greenpeace? And then she, Monica was like, I think so. And then I, I looked, and I was like, oh, my God, she's, like, the person hiring for this position. And so then um, <laughs> I told her that I had applied, and then she was just like, oh, like, dude, you you should have told me beforehand. Like, you're already over here in this pile, which is the, like, call pile, but didn't know. Like, she, I don't think she had seen it just yet. And since one of the things, like I didn't have an environmental background, I had, uh, I was working as an editor at the Poetry Foundation at the time. So it was like, definitely something where she was like, okay, we'll we'll see what happens. And then luckily, through that process, the other people seemed to like me enough. And one of the, one of the people who interviewed me afterwards was like, you know, the big reservation was that you didn't have any environmental background. Um, but then he was like, you know, it's not actually that hard. The good guys are the good guys, the bad guys are the bad guys, and you can figure it out pretty easily. So they kind of hired me on a, a little bit of a, 
I don't know, not a whim, but like a little bit of a flyer. They took they took a chance, um, and now it's been seven years, so it's worked out okay. It's worked out great for me. I think it's been okay for them. <laughs> so that's a pretty big pivot from poetry yeah. foundation <laughs> to green tea. Yeah, yeah. Although it's interesting. I mean, like, especially so. Yeah, I'm the media director, so I'm like working to try and get attention for people who are in the middle right now of like the climate crisis or working um, on cleaning up the oceans or protecting the Amazon rainforest, that sort of thing. And it's like, once you've worked in arts administration, which or being, which being an editor is in a certain way and like trying to get attention for poetry and poets, like trying to get attention for uh, fires in the Amazon (laughs) is way easier unfortunately i mean it's like people are really concerned about it whereas poetry it's all it was always something especially the poetry foundation was always something where it was like they wanted it to be more popular and it was like really hard to have that mentality about poetry like do (laughs) yeah totally and and like for good reason right it's like some of it it just it doesn't need it needs like the five people who are super into it it doesn't need 95 more who want it to be something that it isn't yeah well so that was not do you think that's a danger like i mean that's something i I wonder all the time and i'm not really sure that i know what my opinion is on it that should i think is really dangerous but like you should like it or more people should like it um and i don't think uh i actually feel like the the people who are running the magazine then and are running it now I, i think they actually have a pretty healthy attitude about how how big of an audience they should have but it's just you know all the different pressures from um the board or from different people who are like literally invested in the idea of poetry magazine the poetry foundation being more popular like i think that they feel like it if there's all this money then it should be on you know cereal boxes or whatever and um it does, you know, at a certain point that becomes not only tiresome, but also diminishing returns where you do get like, like there are people who, uh, you know, now I think it's, I mean, there's people who are open to poetry and super into it and that finds its audience. And it's amazing when that happens. Um, but then there's some things where it's just like, it's just, it's super weird and hermetic and, (laughs) The people who are into it are super into it, but trying to turn it into something else um, did feel a little bit like a perversion. Um, well, and it's – that- it's, I mean that's one of the nicest things about poetry is that it can be hermetic. It doesn't have to be. <laughs> yeah, it's like the, it's the last place left, right? Yeah. It's like, it's like, it, it's like it doesn't have to it's, – it's like one thing that can still be sort of secret. Um, and – you know, now it's interesting being out of it where sometimes I'll be like, oh, I probably should read this book or that book or whatever. And um, then I'll think, no, I don't have to. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, that's fine. And if it comes to me and I'm able to appreciate it, then that's great. But if not, that's OK, too. Yeah, I feel like I more have to, like, dig to find the more the more uh, strange out there stuff to really get. Yeah, excited. like, <laughs> yeah, I wonder, too, because, like. For you, I know um, you liked you liked the hermetic stuff. I assume you still do, but like, what are yeah. you what are you into right now? What's like the last thing that you read? I mean, you know, strangely, I'm reading something right now that's not particularly new, but I'm I'm really digging it, even though 
I mean, it's it's well. So I'm reading um I'm reading Ann Wellman's Yovis trilogy, which is oh, nice. massive, you know. Um, yeah. And it's it, but it it actually does fit in with exactly what we're talking about because there's some things I don't like about it, but mm-hmm. but it doesn't matter because the parts that are good are so good, it it just yeah. erases those things from your mind. And it's it's also like it, it's making me think a lot about editing because it feels not mm. very edited, but it's that's actually one of the best things about it because I feel like if she would have spent more time editing, she would have lost some of the best stuff. Yeah, she would have less, lost some of the weak stuff too, but she would have the best things or the the openness of the work and just like allowing it to go anywhere is part of what's amazing about it. Yeah, I wonder. Is that when did it come out? Um, I feel like it 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 was it was like mid two thousands maybe because it, she had been writing those through the years, right? Like I think she started it in the seventies, but it's I mean it's massive. It's like a thousand pages of poetry, um, and it was like she kept writing the same pieces of it over time, and then I think, but I think the final like full. I think they were published, like, the individual pieces were published along the way, but I think this collection of the full thing, maybe it was, like, mid-2000s or something, um, that maybe it came out. Yeah, I wonder, because that, that probably, it's Coffeehouse, right? So that would probably be Chris Fishbach, who is the editor, and I could imagine him being like, you do what you're going to do. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. like I'm I'm here to... Uh, help you if you need it, but if you don't want help, then we'll just, you know, we'll we'll put it out there. I, I think I, I remember. Love, yeah, like, go ahead. I, well, oh yeah, I'm sorry. No, <laughs> we're talking. Over no, not at all. Good. No, do it. Um, no, but I just I, I feel like more and more I love poets who are. I mean, even even if the product is not always overall successful, although I think that is. I love mm-hmm. poets who are just willing to do weird, crazy projects. That's more interesting to me to read than some polished little thing that I just find boring. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's funny. I like I kind of go back and forth on it now. I don't know if it's just because of time or other things, but like I was thinking the other day about that Ed Dorn book Gunslinger. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, it's so crazy. I mean, it's just so out there, and like he's clearly got something that he's doing. Um, but half the time I have no idea, but then it will sort of, um, like it will be revealed a little bit or there'll be like this little moment of clarity and it's so stunning because of that. And that's it. it, I can't tell if I'm like, I I wish he would have clarified it more or if it's like, nope, you just have to go in for the whole, uh, experience (laughs) or nothing. It's, I, I don't know. Yeah. 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 You got any other things you've been reading lately that have been? speaking to you um well i it's one interesting thing was i um you know the poet anthony mccann he had a uh, uh, one book out on fence called father of noise and then he, the rest of his books have been on wave no, I don't and think he I'm familiar with him yeah he's really interesting he's a really interesting poet um but he wrote this non-fiction book about the um uh, the Bundy standoff in Oregon. Oh, yeah, and yeah. he had, he had called me and was like, Hey, I'm working on this nonfiction book. 
it's about this thing in Oregon. This is like maybe three years ago. And I was like, oh, yeah, good luck with that. There's a poet writing, <laughs> you know, like I just assumed it was going to be some, you know, not in a bad way, but just like at best it was going to be like lyric essays or prose poems yeah, about, yeah, yeah. you know, the desert or something. And then it turns out it like Bloomsbury published it and it's like a serious like 500 page nonfiction like journalistic exploration of oh, wow. this Mahler wildlife <laughs> standoff. And it's so good. And, and it's definitely like only a poet could have written this particular kind of book. Cause it doesn't really follow the conventions of a nonfiction book, but it also, it's like, but it it's either not, was uh, veering totally off into lyric. Uh... No, no, it yeah, makes yeah. it actually, it makes sense. <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> it's like it, you can, it's got a story that's really well done. And like the people are insane in it. It's like, it's definitely, you can put it down, but it, it, so it's not one of those that you just are like, I gobbled it up, but, it, but it's, uh, um, it, yeah, it was just so good. And so interesting that he was able to do it. Uh, not in a way that like now I think you get a lot of poets who will do memoirs and there's, you know, like obviously poet novels and different things, but like they all seem to follow a bit of a pattern. And this, it was like, I was like, Oh, this is like 100% something I've never read before. <laughs> so that was the thing that I was like, I was really into. So, most so, recently. Like, so since you're, since you brought that up, mm -hmm. do you feel like when you did your fiction, you were breaking trying to break some pattern and write differently than you're doing in poetry or was it more like an extension of yeah it was interesting it was like it was a little bit of like a challenge the first um the first novel that i'd read i had like a little bit of um what would it be um like a little bit of a mania just in, in terms of like uh writing too much uh and so like starting in probably 2001 it was just like i i, I had a hard time determining what was good it's i'm not over this at all but like a hard time determining what was good and what was bad and so i would just produce a lot of stuff and then try mm -hmm. to sort it out later and so in some ways it was it was trying the first novel i was like i'm going to see what happens if I can give some sort of larger form to all of this scribbling to try to kind of keep me on track. And then it became sort of a challenge to see if I could do it. And then it became like the story itself became about not overtly this, but like it was about trying to write the story itself and trying to like put memory into this form. And so then as it was like halfway through, you can kind of, it, in my mind, it had this idea that it flipped to then where I figured it out and you could kind of see that it figured out and it picked up speed and all this stuff. So it was, it, it was, you know, it came out of the ideas of correspondence and Spicer. So it's like Ocean Vuong yeah, yeah. now has this book, you know, it was very funny. I was reading yeah, that. Ocean I just Vuong. read that over the summer. Uh, what did you think? Um, I have mixed feelings about it because there's things about it that I really love. Mm -hmm. But there's things about it that are real that feel really immature, and 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 it feels like someone should have maybe gotten him, to, him, I don't know, them to focus a little bit. Yeah, you know. Yeah, 
Yeah, um, for sure. I mean, it's it's funny because it's like I think I'm glad it is, exists. I'm glad it exists. Yeah, but I feel. Yeah. but I wish like and and I and I I just feel like that's a general thing. It, and it's more of an issue with fiction and nonfiction is as I the editorial process has sort of ceased to exist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's not like I it's not that one book in particular. I mean, I I think that is a frequent occurrence where I read something and I was like, man, there's so much good in this. I really wish. <laughs> someone had like sat down with this author and was like, all right, this is what you've got. That's amazing. And this is what needs to like be toned down or, or worked on or eliminated because it's just right. not it's it's detracting from the things you're doing really well. And I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I, it would be interesting to hear the, the story behind the editing process with that and like, how it came to be because it I hear what you're saying and it's something where it's like you'd see it focus in a little bit and things would but really I guess sort of like I was saying about gunslinger where it's like all of a sudden you're like oh my god this is really incredible and doing some really interesting stuff and then it would kind of fold back into something else and then kind of there's also be like, a, okay. real, a real formal problem with it as a book in that mm. it's supposed to be a letter addressed to the mother, but it slips out of that all the time. It's very strange, but, but right. <laughs> so it, it, it feels kind of like this premise that doesn't work. Yeah. Well, I wonder, you know? cause I, so when, you know, I looked in the back then, of course, cause he's at, uh, UMass now. And I was like, this feels very much like somebody has been talking about the Spicer letters. Yeah. Um, yeah. and then I looked and of course, Peter, Gizzy's in there, who's the, the Spicer uh, expert or docent or whatever it is. And so it's like the, that idea of correspondence that is in Spicer and the idea of like, I can't remember how he phrases it, but the idea that like the, the, you're, you're doing a letter to be overheard, not to actually address the person that it's supposedly addressed to seemed totally like what was going on there yeah, and how it was yeah, yeah. Quite, no, that makes yeah. sense. I so, guess. But, you know, it's interesting because I also read coincidentally out of nowhere over the summer that Gordon Lish novel, I don't know, something with Capote in the title where it's like something. I haven't read it. It's, 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 it's an interesting novel, but it's also a novel in letters. But it's like right. the the main character is kind of a little bit off his rocker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's writing these letters to Truman Capote. I think I feel like I've seen this book in so many used bookstores. Like I can see the cover or the the spine. Yeah, it's a stylistic tour de force. Yeah, (laughs) I don't know. Like I mean, some of the content I don't know, but like stylistically, it's amazing. But it sticks with that with that premise of, of this being written in letters, and it doesn't break out of it. And and the fun part of doing that is then it becomes about voice. But I also think that's right. difficult when you're doing a memoir, although that's sure. another difficult problem with with Ocean's book is it's a memoir but it's fictionalized. You know, like you're it's it's straddling this weird in between. <laughs> yeah, and so that's like <clears throat> excuse me, that's like the 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 poet's genre now the auto fiction thing and like and in Ocean's book too and the in the acknowledgments there's been learners thanked which is again like my uh, I guess that shows 
like some of um i don't know if it's like it's definitely not a good thing that i look for those things you know yeah, and try yeah, to yeah. find find lineages and and shadows through the explicit like thanking of people in a book but i definitely do it and so you know thinking about the the auto fiction of like ben Lerner's books and then the like javier marias and rachel cusk and all these people who are writing i guess maggie nelson too of like um it's maybe fiction, it's maybe memoir, but it's very centered on the self. And it's like, let's go ahead and like put pretense aside. I'm really talking about myself, but then there's obviously artifice in it too. I'm interested to see what happens now. I feel like we've kind of gotten to the end of that. Um, I hope you're right, but it seems like it's been going on for a <laughs> long sure time. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I'm sure I'm wrong. I don't. Yeah, I'm sure I'm wrong. But but I think it's an interesting. Like I mean, but yeah, I mean, especially with those kind of memoirish things that you're talking about. But I think there's been this tendency towards like poetry feels like it's the holdout for sincerity or something in hmm. that, that you, I think the majority of poets are afraid to do things that are fiction. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, like it, it's, you know, I, I, I feel like, um, I was talking about, uh, Anthony actually came here to read. And so we were talking about, he was on the, the poetry bus where, where we saw you in New Orleans. Oh, yeah, I was yeah, too yeah. tired. I think I went, I think I went out for one drink with you and you're like, let's go for more. And I was like, I can't do it. And you're like, <laughs> very, I remember I felt bad, but I was like, yeah, I have no idea. I'm so tired. <laughs> I'm sure. but we were talking about during during that whole thing, I remember we were thinking about it as if it were the beginning of something. And now, of course, looking back, I'm like, oh, it was totally the end. It's, it's, <laughs> like, it's been going on so long. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, but this idea, but like the, the end of this, of this kind of, um, I think the, what certain people were taking from the New York school so like a different way to say it, I remember talking to this Polish poet and he said there's two different schools of poetry right now in contemporary Polish poetry. So this is 10 years ago or whatever. Uh -huh. But he was like, there's Ashburyists and there's O'Haraists. And I was like, that is funny because they're like, they're both in New York school. And he was like, no, they're very different camps. And like, they kind of hate each other. I'm sure <laughs> this is all wrong. I'm sure it's all misinformed and wrong, but this is what he was telling me. And so to me, I think the end of that time, like right around... Uh, I guess probably 2007 or so. That was kind of the end of the Ashbury-ists, you know? And yeah, it, like, yeah. definitely the O'Hara-ists have won, and I love both of them, so it's not a slight. But, like, the idea of that imaginative fiction in poetry or the idea of, like, really on the outside looking out and not revealing or confessing in even the O'Hara way, which is not confessional, there's still so much art to it, but it's, like... Now, when you read a poem, it seems like to me, most of what I read, the idea that there would be a speaker that is removed from the persona of the person's Twitter oh, handle yeah, yeah. or whatever. It's like that would just be like, like almost like insulting that you would be like, no, this is me. And it's insulting to think it would be some sort of fictionalized concoction because I don't have permission to take that imaginative leap into someone else's but do skin. Do you think it's insulting? I think I, I think it's not so much people worried about about. I think it's more like people feel like it's not worthwhile or it's not genuine. 
if it's artificial mm-hmm. yeah. or something, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and again, to think of like, that's like comical to think of Ashbury thinking that way. Like everything but, for but him was worthwhile. it's to think of, I mean, and I, I, I kind of hate that characterization of O'Hara that mm-hmm. has happened because that's really only true for a small percentage of his poems. Right. And and all of them were very influenced by surrealism and were sure. <laughs> doing things that were literally the opposite of that based on that alone. I mean, even – I mean, O'Hara has his sur- surrealist-based poems where there's no person to really be found in there. I mean, I, I mean you – Sure. You, you think of like Biotherm or like Second Avenue or something. Right. These long <laughs> – I mean, yeah, the speaker comes in, but you couldn't tell anything about the speaker by reading that poem, really. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, it's, it's, um, yeah, I'm definitely doing like the most reductive version from like his five most famous poems. No, I'm not saying you are. I think that's just like the general, it's kind of become, and I think it is. Oh, for sure. It's because like, oh, you can set up a like, Ashbury's further on that side than O'Hara is or whatever. But I also mm-hmm. think sometimes I'm not talking about you or, or even your Polish poet you're talking about, but I also think some people have only read the O'Hara and Ashbury poems that are in the anthologies and have not. Oh, for sure. That deep in, <laughs> into, I mean, cause both of them, I mean, O'Hara amazingly considering how shortly he lived, really have a lot of depth to their work they're not doing one thing you know yeah yeah i mean i think about it in some ways that like like i think about um peter gizzy of being of being like one of the last uh he would hate this i'm sure but like one of the last holdouts in some ways for that reading with depth and i think about like I can't remember which book, but some book recently of his that came out and there's a picture of Jim Jarmish holding the book. Yeah. And I, I remember thinking that like, that's got it. Like Peter's got to be like so happy and nobody gives a shit. <laughs> like, I mean, it's that's like pretty Jim damn Jarmish. Cool. That's pretty damn cool. I got Oh say. my God. It's so cool. I think it's amazingly cool. But the idea of what it means to Peter and then what it means to the public at large, I'm probably yeah, not making yeah. this point right. No, but like, I know what you you're know, saying. Yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. that. You know, it's like this idea of like Jim, like the Jim Jarmish cool is involved in the idea of poetry. Jarmish is that thing for film. Yeah. Yeah. In the same way, you know, I mean, like, yeah, like people who are in the know think he's like the coolest director ever. But then the majority of the public is not even particularly aware that he exists, even though he's had movies that are pretty big as far as those things go over and over again in his career but yeah for sure and people still don't really know who he is <laughs> yeah it's just an interesting thing i'm sure it's just a product of obviously getting older but it's also yeah i mean it's like an interesting well what to like wrap it back around to the poetry foundation i love that i don't it doesn't matter what i think <laughs> not that it did then <laughs> but like i'm just curious about the the place where poetry is because there's so many poets who are like way more popular and may, way more, I guess, widely read than I could even, yeah, so eight years ago when I was still working at the Poetry Foundation, than I could ever have dreamed, you know? It's like, holy shit, there's all these people that um, are just kind of out in the world in this way that is really astonishing. Um, 
it's interesting. And sometimes, right? yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. yeah. And sometimes I'm into it, and sometimes I'm like, I, I, this does nothing for me. But it doesn't. It has. It like it doesn't matter at all what I think <laughs> about but, it. Oh, yeah, and not yeah. in a way well, that's that, nice. You know, that's nice. Yeah, but it's like, like super freeing. Yeah, yeah. But then it's also then there's some things that I'm like. Uh, be good if I had an example. I don't right now, but like some things I'm like, man, I'm, I'm kind of into this and I'm like, I, it might be bad. <laughs> like, I'm not sure, but I do. I just, um, I like it. And, um, well, so you probably it's... saw this happen, but, but it also seems like there's been a shift because it used to be how known or how many readings a poet could do had a lot to do with their book sales. And it seems less to do with that now because, it, because it's become more of an internet world. Oh, I mean, I think it's explicitly about, um, not in every case, but in most cases, it's about social media follows, um, peaking the interest of, of different publishers. And I think that that like drives a lot more of it than, um, it used to. And I, and I'm, I don't even think it's bad. I just think it's something where it's like, you can see sometimes, I think Natalie Diaz talked about this on Twitter. Um, but she was like, you can see that like, there are certain poets that all of a sudden get a lot of attention and you're like, I wonder what was going on there. And then you look and you're like, Oh, right. They have, you know, 30,000, 40,000 yeah. or whatever <laughs> Twitter followers. And it's like, Oh, right. And they're part of the publicity machine and it works really well. And it doesn't it, like it's, there's not a inverse relationship to Twitter followers to quality of poetry at all. It's no, just not, something that no, it's like, certainly not. Yeah. Well, I mean, but but you can observe you it. Really, maybe when you get on the really extreme ends of the either side, but mostly I would say no. <laughs> yeah, sure. I mean, and also probably case by case, right? It's probably yeah. not monolithic, but it's just one of those things that every once in a while it'll be like some like a name will start coming up, and I'll be like, what's going on with that person, and then it'll be like, oh, okay, well that's cool, and I mean that that is maybe a way better arbiter of publication or whatever or attention than uh academic log rolling or back scratching or you know whatever people who went to school together so yeah, yeah maybe whatever. so yeah i mean i don't know if it's better but it corrects a lot of the worst problems with how that happened before yeah um yeah and it's also just yeah. one it's like it it's um yeah so that that all those machinations are like fascinating to watch and then also then i can just like i have friends still who are kind of in that world definitely still in the academic world or in the arts admin world and they'll like be like did you read the x y and z thing in this publication and i'm like <laughs> oh man it's so great i have no idea what you're talking about <laughs> <laughs> so so what is that like now that how are you like continuing your poetry now that you're separated from that world is that difficult or is that like oh yeah it's super hard nobody cares um which makes it harder. <laughs> like when I, when I thought that there was like, uh, people who, um, like, like when there was a, even like a really small, I mean, I can go even like way, like when, I'm, when I was an undergrad, um, finding that like first group of people who we were kind of learning about, or I guess, honestly, even in high school, like, like I had a, my ninth grade um, English teacher gave us this packet of poems that she had put together, photocopied and stapled. And there was like Ted Berrigan in there. And there was, um, yeah, I think some Frank O'Hara, but then there was also you know, Sharon Olds. There was also um, 
gosh, who else? Amiri Baraka was in there. I mean, it was just like really That's a good. Pretty, pretty good packet for a high school. Oh my gosh, it was so good. And I mean, it was just, but it, but it was like, like, and I had like the, you know, the beat reader, Ann Charter's book, but like yeah, I was yeah. into the beats in ninth grade and I'd like discovered that, but no one else that I knew like could yeah, even. Yeah like could even start a conversation, which is totally normal. It's odd for in ninth grade. And then it was like, found one friend who like was like, oh yeah, yeah, I know about that. And then it was like, oh, okay. And then we had this little world and then it was exciting because then we started writing poems and it was like, oh, we can, and I remember like this guy, Morgan, shit, big table books was the place. And he like put on a reading and like we all went and like read poems that we had written. And this is, yeah, like, uh, maybe junior in high school or something like that. And it was like, that was so cool. And it yeah, was just yeah. to impress those people. So that was cool. There was no idea that we were actually probably, oh, there was like a hint. Maybe we could actually be good at this. And then in college, as undergrad, then all of a sudden, like well, my my first poetry teacher is a woman named Stephanie Gordon. And she was really like, kind. Of, she was just really encouraging. And so that was like, um, probably true for a lot of people, but maybe not. I think maybe your experience would be different than this, but like, I just loved the feeling of getting praise. Like that was awesome. <laughs> so it was like, like I, and then, you know, and it was for things that I felt like it was like, I was able to express something, but also make something and get praise for it. And it was like, well, hell yes, I'm going to keep doing this. This feels great. And then it was like, also I started getting a group of little, you know, like a little three, four people, also interested and I had a class with Kevin Young and I had a class with Brian Henry and Brian Henry was like these poems are great you should send them to get published and it was like what the fuck <laughs> like that's the craziest thing I've ever heard like that it could be good enough to be in the whatever conversation was happening um and so then there was a few years of that which was really cool and then like having books published was amazing and I think my thing recently that my like ambition and impatience totally outstripped my talent. Um, but I was, I couldn't see that. And I think that in some ways that's important, you know, like, I don't know if you felt this way, but like, you have to not know how bad you are, but you have, you have to want to pursue it to get that escape velocity. I don't know. Do you, does that make sense to you? No, it kind of does. Although I don't know. Yeah. I kind of think maybe that's almost sometimes, I don't even know what that means anymore, I guess. Sure. Well, so that's my problem now, 100%, is that, like, like if no one is and – and I'm – you know, there, there are surely people that I – you know, there are people that I send things to and talk about things with, and they're sort of – you know, it's still, like uh, – it's still interesting, and I'm interested in what they're doing, but it's a very different thing in that I know now – Sounds sort of terrible, but it's true. I know now that it's not going to save my life, you know? Yeah. It's not yeah. going to, like, there were gestures towards this this different world that I thought, I'm really unhappy in the current world that I live in. And there's these works of art that gesture towards a different world. And I thought, oh, if I can participate in that gesture, then maybe I'll end up living in that different world. It's not going to save your life, but it might mm. save somebody else's life when they read it. Maybe. I mean, that would be amazing. But then but, also but maybe I mean, that's not. Good. But maybe not. Maybe not. But that's like what you think about. Like, because that's what it really always was for us, right? Like, you're in that I think so. state of, man, this world sucks. And I don't. 
nobody gets it and 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 then you read someone that you're like oh they get it yeah i didn't think someone else thought that yeah and to be that for someone else is a nice thing and maybe that's the best we can (laughs) i think so i think but then in some ways it's like i i it's it's almost ceased to be a concern like it has to be something else and one of the things you know i was talking about um uh, David Berman, who recently died, and he was somebody that when I was in yeah. sort of bring about like when I was in high school, my friend Katie, I think we were talking about this. We couldn't figure it out. I think she put Starlight Walker, his first the first Silver oh, yeah. record, like put it on a tape for me. And I remember being God, I might have been even like a sophomore in high school, something like that. And um, I had it on my Walkman. And I remember just being like exactly what you're talking about. It was just being like, whoa, somebody else gets it. But also like somebody else gets something that is so crazy to me. Like it just was so, I was like, what the fuck is happening? This is not like what, like this guy can't sing. The guitar's out of tune. The drums aren't doing anything. And I remember playing it for my friends and they were just like, you have lost your fucking mind. Like there's just no, there's nothing like this is not Steve Miller band. My friend, this does not sound like the other stuff that we're listening to. Um, but then through his different, you know, his albums and definitely when I first got, like, I just, I just loved him. And then when I found that first book of poems, the only book of poems, the actual air, yeah. it was just like, oh, you, your way of describing things is, you know, totally an aspirational it's, goal it's, of mine. Uh, but it's, it's like such being a able, good book. It's such a good book. And it really is. I don't know. And it, I, I just always hoped he was going to like come back to poetry and and write another book i know he yeah he published some other poems here and there but he did and i think they're more um but i think that he was in you know way more extreme situation but i think that he just had no you know he didn't like other poets for the most part and didn't like the he found the you know he described it to me as the the poetry world is the scene that celebrates itself and just fair enough like yeah for sure it's like hard to argue and then didn't um you know liked who he liked but then didn't um feel i think that there was much you know quote-unquote community to be had and so then i think his publisher and friend robert bingham died of an overdose and he was the open city publisher and so then he's the person who like you know edited his book and put it all together and published it and put it out and really helped him, you know, have that kind of literary life. And so when he died, he was sort of like, I think David was sort of like, well, what do you do? I don't have, yeah. yeah. And like, I don't have like the person I was kind of writing for and doing this for this community that I was doing, which was just maybe a couple people, the main person has died. So yeah. there's not quite that, but I do know, you know, he had, he gave that, he gave a couple of readings and he gave that reading at UMass, which I, I listened to a couple of days after he died. Um, cause there's like a recording floating around of it. And, uh, oh, I got to find that. I didn't know there was a recording. Yeah. I might, I might know how to get it to you. Um, the, uh, the, the poems are so good. I mean, and a friend of mine said, you know, he's more of like a, a rock on tour than a poet which I think it was jealousy was talking there a little bit, but like he's, he is that too. Like he's just such a good storyteller and he's so fucking funny. Well, but that's um, the kind of poetry I think, you know, absolutely. Yeah. It's, and and it's funny too. Know. Cause I like, 
you and I know it well, but there's like the, the, the bootleg, the knockoff Jim Tate poems. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like he was so close to doing that, but he did it so well. And they were like, they were just different. You it know, was very it really different. And, and, yeah. and, 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 and I also like, and I always think that's interesting with people who, who are good lyricists because I love his lyrics that he wrote as well. Yeah. But it's a, the way that his poetry works differently from the way his lyrics works is interesting to me. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It would be, I mean, yeah, I tried to sort of pry some of those questions out of him and he just, he really didn't, he definitely found it to be super pretentious to talk about it. Yeah. And that, <laughs> you know, which is a shame, but it's also like a good, I mean, the ultimate answer with a lot of that stuff is like, I don't fucking know. I mean, well, I mean, I understand. Yeah. Sure, but yeah, yeah, it would have been nice to get a little insight from him. Of yeah, yeah, sure. and he would every once in a while there'd be like you could push and you do like kind of like jokey defensive thing to brush it off, and I would try to push a little harder, and then he would he'd I, come around a little bit. I love that interview, by the way, and I'll link to it again oh, from cool. here. I mean, I shared it as soon as I read it, and yeah, it was so sad. Like it was not too long after that. Yeah, but, I mean, it was it was definitely. Um, I can't remember. Oh yeah, it was so I saw that Drag City was public like republishing a hardcover version of Actual Air and I was like, "Oh, well what the hell? Like, no, I didn't hear about this. That's so cool." And so I emailed him and I was like, "Hey man, this is so great. Like, congratulations on this." And he was like, "Yeah, really working towards a new album too." And I was like, "Whoa, whoa, new. I hadn't heard anything about that. Like, that's cool." And so we're kind of going back and forth and then I was like, um, I was like, "Would you want to do like a real interview?" uh about like the, the now you know that i guess it's almost like the i think it might have been the 20th anniversary of actual air now that yeah, i think about yeah. i think it was 99 something like that and then so i was like we could talk about that and then talk about the new record and he was like yeah yeah that's fine and i was like well i can come up to nashville um or you know like you let me know we can talk on the phone i can record it and he was like let's just do email that's fine it works for me it gives me time to think and i don't and i was like all right. I'm sort of disappointing. I was like, oh, right, that works. Um, and so then I would, you know, email him a question and then it would be, you know, like a week, nothing. And I'd be like, well, I, did I piss him off or do? And the first question I asked was like, so what's self-portrait at 52? Um, and then no answer. And then I think like two weeks. And I was like, yeah, that is... He, you know, who knows what he was thinking, but I was like, that's a little too clever of a way to start. So then I was just like, you know, tell, <laughs> tell me about Jim and other stuff. And, you know, then he kind of loosened up. Um, we kind of went back and forth, but he was, there's some stuff that he's just telling me off the record too. And I was just like, Jesus Christ, you were in bad shape. Like it definitely was something where I was like, you know, he'd talk about his divorce and it, I was like, I'm really sorry to hear that. And he was like, yeah, you know, sort of like shrug his shoulders, but then also just like, it's really hard and I don't really know what to do. And I was like, oh, yeah. well, this is bad. Um, but then, and then I was like, there's no way that he's going to tour. Like it just, I just don't see how that could possibly happen. And talking to him about it too, he was like, I don't know. It just seemed very bad. I have no idea, obviously. And it feels sort of weird to talk about it but then but then i was um like my mother-in-law was over here and they were playing clue and drinking wine and i like went and looked at twitter and i saw um 
somebody who I had been going back and forth with about him separately had tweeted something that was like, you know, his music just meant so much to people. And I just saw the end of that and I was like, are you fucking kidding me? And of course, then I looked and I saw the Drag City tweet and it just was, it was, you know, it was one of those things that uh, you might have felt the same way where it was like his horrible shock, but then in the, in the same way, not, you know, not a surprise and that no, it was just and, like he did. And, and before it was revealed how he died, I knew immediately that that's what it was. Yeah. And you hope not in some ways, but then yeah. also it's just like, well, what, you know, it seems unlikely that he probably got hit by a car or something. It's obviously morbid and, and ghoulish to talk about some of the stuff, but it's, it's just one of the things that happened then that was actually really amazing was just that so many people started talking about him and talking about his work and everybody had like some funny story about how they, he yeah, sent him yeah. a cartoon and it really did feel in this amazing way that there was this community of people, um, no, I, I felt that too, and I think that was wonderful because I always felt like, well, and I mean, I think you know, like, largely that's true, that you talk about David Berman and people have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, it's even more obscure than, <laughs> I mean, you have to be like, well, do you know what pavement is? Yeah, and then, yeah. <laughs> and you gotta like, and then 90% of people don't even know that, and then... <laughs> The people who know that you can kind of talk them into like understanding. What you're yeah, I mean about. it's it's funny because another the the person that reminded me most when I was kind of going back and forth with him was somebody that I got to know in Athens around the same time that I got to know for the first time. David was Vic Chestnut, oh, and yeah. I remember talking with Vic, uh, not. I mean, a little bit before he committed suicide and it was very much like, um, you know, you could just tell that, that it was a person that didn't see a lot of ways out, um, but yeah. didn't like, there's definitely like a pretty crazy clarity that was going on where it was like, you know, I think if you watch that, um, all my happiness is gone video. Mm -hmm. And when, when David's looking at the camera, I mean, it's very hard not to think that he's trying to tell you things are pretty bad um, when you watch that video. I mean, and so with Vic, this, the yeah, same thing, like yeah. the songs towards the end, I mean, they're just so grim, but they're also just sort of like, they're dark in this way that feels like this horrible clarity. But yeah. they're both people. The thing about David that was so, you know, one of the things that was so sad was it really seemed like, you know, with Vic and even with Pavement and, and Stephen Alchemist and everybody else and a lot of these people who like were you know, my life to me in the late nineties, early two thousands. Yeah, yeah. I just, I just love them so much. I mean, they're so out of the conversation now. I mean, it's like, yeah, it's they just kind of are strangely. I don't know. I mean, I guess, they... but then, but then David had this the purple mountains album and it really seemed to do something that he had always wanted to do. Um, which it's this kind of glorious pop record. I actually haven't been able to listen to, I have it like he's, uh, he sent me, um, a SoundCloud file, like he texted it to me. And so I have that open, you know, how you can have different yeah, yeah, Safari yeah. windows open on your phone. I still have it open. Like I can't bring myself to close it, which is stupid, obviously. But like, that's how I listened to it. Um, and I got the record when it came out and, and listened to it then. But I haven't really been able to listen to it since. Because I, I mean, it is yeah. dark. I listened to it a lot right after. And, it's so and, good. And old Silver Drew stuff too. Because just, it just made me like... And it's so good, but it's but it but it's hard. 
Yeah. It's It's hard to know, you know, like, well, why, why, I mean, I know why it's hard, but why do you say it's hard? Well, I mean, it's hard for a lot of reasons. And like, you know what, you know, I mean, you're talking about Berman and I mean, and I'm sure it's the same with Vic Chestnut too. I never got as much into that, but, but it's like, to me, that's something I've suffered with a lot in my life too. Sure. And to me, it was always kind of a happy cleansing thing to listen to it as much as it is dark music in some ways because oh sure it was like this feeling of here's somebody with you suffering through yeah. this thing with you but then yeah that end makes it it it's not going to permanently make it that way but right now maybe it feels a little different because it's like <laughs> you know it, when he was alive it was like here's someone else like me and he's making it through it yeah it might be hard yeah. but he's doing it you know and now that's got a little different feeling to it i don't know and i think that'll change yeah. over time but i think so i mean it took me a long time to be able to listen to Vic's music again and then when i did i really went like deep into it and just felt you know i feel grateful for it and i feel like a, a great love for it but it makes you think that in that do you ever watch that big star documentary? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I said, nothing can hurt me, I think. There's a part where Chris Bell's sister and brother are sitting there in, in her house in Memphis. And she's she's like, I'm really happy that people love the music. but And then she, she starts crying. And her brother like reaches over and grabs her hand. And he says, I know. And then she says, you know, I just, I just, I just wish he were still here. And it's like such, I mean, it kills me. I've yeah, seen that. Yeah. I love that documentary. But I mean, it just kills me because... You know, it's it's some of it is getting older and I see that so much more, but also just seeing that it is like it it's so confusing, you know. You like you don't get one or the other. Like some people it's like yeah. he might have been his most himself when he was making art. That's what it seemed like in talking to him. You know, it was like that's what you know, made him happiest and also made him feel the most himself. And so it's it's great that he was able to do that, but when he it, you can't do it all the time. Like you have to have other times when you're sure, a human and, sure, you know, yeah. and it's, I, I understand that feeling of being like the times I'm supposed to be human. I don't know how to do it. And it's really hard. And it just seems like he, he really tried, you know, that's what I was Absolutely, talking to some friends. Yeah. It's like, he seemed to, it, there was no lack of, you know, effort <laughs> or willpower there. He really tried. And he I just think of like, I, I think I saw, uh, it was maybe like, I don't know, I'm going to say 12 years ago, but it might have been longer than that. There was some point where he was doing a solo tour, mm-hmm. David yeah. Berman was, and uh, he came and played here at uh, at One Eye Jacks. And mm-hmm. it was funny. I mean, it was maybe longer than 12 years ago because apparently I was still smoking at the time. I was outside smoking. There was no one else. Mm. Everyone else was inside. He just walked up <laughs> to the venue <laughs> Stopped, asked me for a light. We talked for a little while. He went in and did the show, you know? That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and that was That's like great. Kinda, but that was the nice thing about it is like, you know, and sure, he was not the most popular person in the world, but he was popular enough that most people wouldn't. That's not the way they would show up to their show, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> that's awesome. And I, yeah. And I do think that that's like, I think he was trying to, uh, preserve the humanity like i do think there was a lot of opportunities for him to do 
you know, you see a lot of stuff that was coming out where it was like HBO was going to do something with him on a show about um, him and his dad and that like different oh, yeah, bands yeah. wanted to work with him. And he, you know, and I think he's, you know, I think he saw that a lot of that stuff is bullshit and didn't want to do it. And so he had these like really high standards. And then sometimes he also would do, you know, like that early times record which is like the oh, yeah. <laughs> like the, <laughs> like the walnut falcon stuff and i mean that stuff it's like i mean it's gloriously bad but it's like he had these really high standards then he also was like but if i can do something that really gives a nice fuck you to the whole idea of having standards i will definitely do it so yeah it's really hard it's something i hope you know it's been great to hear you know it's still coming out like people are still sort of like hey i did this thing and like this with well, him and there have been like is, tributes. His reach is wider than I realized, I guess. It was one of the nice things of seeing Yeah. It, you know. Yeah, definitely. So I gotta I gotta uh, I gotta say one more story though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not yeah. not directly Berman, but since since thinking of UMass days, the first workshop uh-huh. I ever had at UMass, it was Jim. Yes. And Jim you might have been in there. I don't remember if you were in the workshop or not. He was like, what did you read over the summer? And I had stumbled upon actual air. Cause I mean, mm. and, and I think this was 2000, right? So it had not, not been out that long. Right. And I had no idea. I thought no one knew what this was. I, I recognized his name and I was like, Oh, that's, that's the guy from silver Jews. Like, I knew that's the reason I picked up the book. I didn't know he was writing poetry. I didn't know he had gone to UMass. And I talked about the book, whatever. And Jim was like, "Yeah, he needs to stop fucking around with music and just write poetry." <laughs> <laughs> oh man, did you have any comeback to that one, or did you just sit, no. sit stunned? That was my first day, I just did not <laughs> respond to that. <laughs> oh my god yeah i mean that's so like perfect in so many different ways but it's also that jim sort of letting you have enough rope to to really draw it out and then like letting you talk and talk and then having him be like not only do i know about it but i have an opinion (laughs) about it and that it's going to be fairly harsh (laughs) (laughs) yeah Yeah, that's good well and it's also funny because jim as much as he liked music was very stuck in the 70s of music so he didn't get it he did not get how great what Berman was doing with music but he did get how good his poetry was so yeah i think that's right i think that's probably right i mean i think i remember we said something about it and he was like you know i said something about silver jews and he was like yeah talk about rinky dink And I was like, it is, but it's so gloriously rinky-dink. It's like the best. It's it's like profound rinky-dinkness is what makes it so good. Uh-uh. Well, so you I have, need to give us a poem before before we close out tonight. Sure, I was thinking maybe I'll just do. So I was saying, or two. You know, it, it can be more than one. I'm just saying we need. I might just do the. Well, let's see. So, um, one of the things that this does tie back in is I, I did have um, like yeah, David or the news that David died came out on a Wednesday and that Wednesday morning it was one of those days I was just feeling like just off like nothing was going right it was just kind of like just felt like out of my skin in a way and 
was like, there's no, there's nothing to do. This is just, this day is just going to suck. Uh, there's no way out of it. And I was like, well, you know, one thing that used to like remind me how to be myself and like give some shape to a day or something was like, no matter what happened, if you wrote a poem, then that day was good. And so I was like, oh, God damn it. I guess I'll sit down and try to write this poem. Um, and then, you know, different methods to get the garbage out before I start and kind of like felt like I was able to kind of get a little bit in the zone and started to um, hear a little bit, some lines come up. So I like wrote, wrote some, wrote and got done. And I was like, hey, that did, that was okay. Like it was, had some things rattling around that I was able to give shape to and also some new things came up and I did feel like, yeah, like I heard a sort of clean voice coming in. And so then that Wednesday night, then I hear that um, he dies. And then the next morning I look at the poem that I had written and then finished it or felt like I did. So this poem is that poem. Uh, it doesn't have uh, a title. I actually, in the notebook, so maybe this is the title I would written um, what, wasn't a title of one of David's poems, but when he read at UMass, he said there was a line that he said something along the lines of like, and I keep up the the mantra of composition, horseshit, magic, <laughs> 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 which is so good. Um, and so it had written at the top, composition, horseshit, magic. So we'll go with that as a title. But here we go. So composition, horseshit, magic. I thought playing a song would feel like listening only better. And what could be better? It's a gift to listen and feel, and that's all. But I can't stand it still. My heart is too slow in my mind. The joy only of what ain't isn't always there like a note I can't quite hit. Interest I haven't earned. Another monotone identity thief owning the dance floor. I wrote that yesterday when you were dying in your room and I only crossed out one word. So that's that one. Whew. Let's just do that. Let's just do that's, that one. That's, that's fine. That's beautiful, man. And, and it really, uh, wow. I mean, the beginning stuff was already hitting the other stuff you're thinking about and then whew, ties it yeah. all together. That's nice. Thank you. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, yeah, it was a good, uh, good to have those. I don't know, you know, those moments where things open up a little bit and feel like there's a lot of uh, ego work uh, in the sense of like psychoanalytic sense of having to just have a lot of responsibilities and shit you have to keep on top of and all these different things. And one of the great things about poetry, one of the great things about David's poetry, is that they turn a lot of those things inside out and make you see and feel the wider things going on. And so it felt like there was a little bit of that moment, uh, there yeah. and that I would attribute, attribute to him. So I think, you know, thanks to David for that. And it was, yeah, felt good. And then I sort of walked away from it and was like, well, shit, I think I wrote a poem and it doesn't happen all that often. So that's nice too. <laughs> well. Thank you so much for talking to me today, and uh, it's been a good conversation. Do you have, Absolutely. Uh, do you have anything you would like me to plug to our listeners? Do you have books you're Oh, I appreciate it. Or? 
No, I mean, man. I, well, so, I mean, they can be old books, is all right. <laughs> yeah, the old books. I mean, it's actually really funny. And it started about the, well, I don't want to jinx it. There's stuff in the works. It'll be interesting to see. So just, you know, I, we'll keep in touch. Well, yeah, and, and you can um, always yeah give us new stuff as it appears as well, and we'll push. It yeah, up. sure, no, yeah, but yeah. Um, but yeah, happy to talk. Happy to. I'm really happy that you got got in touch. Is really enjoyed it. Well, thank you. All right, uh, listeners, we'll see you again next week. Thank you.